You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. And that's just that they've, they've been declared functionally extinct in the wild by the Australian Koala Foundation. What can they teach us? And researchers or evolutionary experts think the reason their pouch opens towards the bottom, it might be an adaptation from their prehistoric cousin, the wombat. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Big week, big week, big week, big. We're going down under, Angie. We're going back down under. I've been waiting I for this one. I love it there. It's my I home know. away from home, <laughs> even though I've never been. But I, we need to go quite clearly because we love yes. ourselves some Australian animals. They are so And the unique. people. The people are pretty awesome, too. We've had some really awesome emails recently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from some yeah, of we've our, got- our supporters and friends down in Australia. Yeah, I got to uh, send out a cheers to Bailey out in Perth. So let's go to the West Coast, then cross the continent all the way to Lee in Sydney, you know, and then we'll go down and say hi to Googs down in Tasmania. So, you know, and we have yes. a bunch in between. We have a bunch in between. Nikki from Adelaide. So there's another another fan and we love our Aussies. We love our Aussies. And even more so, we love koalas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just had a, I just joke with Chris. I was like, so I think we can just sum up the podcast in five seconds and say they are the cutest. They're charming, yeah, iconic, 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 lovely animal, and we're out. No, there's so much physiology. Well, so absolutely. Much. I I went into the weeds this week about mm-hmm. some fascinating physiology, and so hopefully by the end of the podcast. Of course, you already love koalas because they're mm. cute and fuzzy and they're just charming as can be. But you're going to learn a lot about their phy- physiology and conservation. We've got to talk a lot of conservation yes, this week, yeah. Chris. Koalas we have been we in do. the news. And very, It's very timely. Very timely. Yep. Not in a good way as far as their no. numbers. So we're going to talk a lot about that. And, of course, just some radical physiology since they are a, a boreal marsupial mm-hmm. herbivore. So yeah, I had a lot of fun very, talking out about their physiology. And I knew herbivore. you would. I knew you would. I knew <laughs> you would. And when I, you know, reading some of this stuff, especially when we get to nutrition and, and all that, I knew you would just love doing the research this week on them. The, the thing that you were talking about, Angie, in the news, and that's just that they've, they've been declared functionally extinct in the wild by the Australian Koala Foundation. Now, they're reporting that, or warning, really, that there's only 80,000 koalas left on the continent. They predict maybe as low as 43,000. And basically, and we're going to talk a little bit here in a minute what functionally extinct means. But, you know, they are, they are really screaming that Australia is not doing enough to support the koala. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair... It's an election year, so they're really beating the drum. But I think Good. a lot of people agree. Vote, yeah, I think a lot vote of people with your agree. Dollar, vote, vote to yeah. save the environment. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree the Australian government needs to do more 
to protect their natural spaces, like the, from the Great Barrier Reef all the way out to, to Bailey and Perth, you know, and everything in between. And if you really think about it, and we're going to talk about populations and where they're found, but Australia is a huge continent. And mm-hmm. the populations, as Chris mentioned, are spread out. So on the high end, even there are only 80,000 koalas left. That's not a very big number. No, no, no. No, it's not. It's not. And it's, you know, it. it we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Now, a couple housekeeping notes, Angie. Very excited. Very excited. You've been helping me get this organized for a long time. This has been going on for like three or four months. It's but a big one. This, yeah. This Thursday, I got to go to my favorite zoo on earth where I grew up as a kid that, that instilled all of this in me, these values of, of saving animals and being a conservationist and conservation message. So I got to go to actually the San Diego Zoo, go back home. The world famous in, San Diego world Zoo, famous, to be correct. Yes. And the stuff they do is so amazing. It's so amazing what they do for, you know, San Diego Global Wildlife. And I got to interview the koala team. So I got to sit down with uh, three of their koala keepers and talk about not so much the day-to-day keeping the koalas, but what is San Diego doing? What is San Diego Zoo doing for not only the koalas, but animals around the globe? And they are the le- one of the leaders in conservation. Sure. You know, we. Oh, I was so excited. I was so uh, excited. Yeah, no, San Diego rocks. I uh, sat yeah. down with a, a, a mentor slash hero of mine yeah. this past week. He was in town for a conference. He's a rhino specialist out of San Diego Zoo, the wildlife park there. Mm-hmm. And he's amazing. They do amazing work. He was telling about some of the stuff they're doing in South Africa to help conserve rhinos and to learn more about them and to try to figure out um, how – to better keep them under human care because obviously their numbers are declining. And yeah, it was just, it's an incredible. I, it's so funny. I was like, Oh yes, I would definitely move out. to. Not that he didn't ask me about a job. He didn't <laughs> offer me a job. He didn't even hint that they were hiring. <laughs> In fact, one job he's like, well, that one you probably wouldn't even be qualified for. So no, but I was still like, Oh, I, I'd move there. I would move there in a heartbeat. Yes. No problem. Hands down. I, I would support that. <laughs> Hands down. I would I would drive out to Florida, load up the truck. You and John take the kids in your car and I'll drive your truck to San Diego. I would support that in a heartbeat. I know. It's heartbeat. So, yeah. They're a great organization and great, great people coming out of there mm-hmm. and, and really cool animals. And I uh I'm very excited for this interview because as a former keeper, it's just so it's so important to hear all sorts of different perspectives and I think our interviews have done a great job of being pretty well-rounded and a lot of our listeners have helped encourage us to reach outside the box and interview more mm-hmm. different types of animal experts. So be looking for that in the months to come. But in the meantime, hearing from a CEO of an organization or a field conservation knee-deep in muck out mm-hmm. in Sumatra to a keeper that is keepers of Noah's Ark, basically, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and gets to know these animals and their personality, which I've heard koalas have really big personalities. Very much, very much. So uh, getting to hear their, their behind the scenes is going to be really cool. So I'm excited about that, that interview. It was, yeah, it was amazing. They, they actually, I think all three of them, if I remember correctly, went to Australia to do some field work. 
So San Diego supports that with their keepers. Like, you went to the wrong zoo, Angie. I'm sorry. Lincoln Park's great. We love them. We love Chicago. Ah, uh, uh, no. Lincoln Park Zoo. That's that's my heart. You're talking about my, my alma mater. They sent me to Africa. To, yeah. So... I mean, Africa, Australia. That's true. They cool. do. Okay. 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 Fine. Yes. fine. So, well, I have to but, ask Alicia at Brookfield to see what she thinks. You know? I know. Right. Right. Yeah. So, no, but I think it goes to point out that there, there's a lot of really awesome zoos that support conservation, as we've shown in some, and talked about in some of our interviews, and we'll be doing more here in the future. Uh, and yeah, the, they support continued education and field conservation work heavily and the keeper staff yeah. gets to be involved so yeah uh, yeah. yeah no it's um they do and they, you know dr aaron curry you know one of my good friends that cincinnati zoo she takes people up to the arctic to look at polar bears and study polar bears and stuff so yeah the zoos are incredible incredible interview please enjoy it i actually snuck back down to san diego wearing my san diego zoo t-shirt that i bought myself and i, I got to to walk around again this past weekend and i just oh it, I love it. Memories is that little five-year-old kid running up and down Bear Canyon, you know, going, "Oh my gosh, Dad!" That's look how at this. it all yeah. starts. Yeah, that's yeah. how. I mean, that's yeah. that's the goal, right? That's we all yeah. started somewhere yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, and just real quick, you know, on Patreon, please check us out on Patreon. Follow us on social media: Instagram, Facebook. We have a big species coming next week. It's from the ocean. I will. This is the only hint I'll give you: dark on top, light underneath. That's <laughs> not a very good end. That's like every species in the ocean. Yeah. There you go. But fair enough. Join Patreon, darn it, or else you'll never know. <laughs> so we'll drop that episode next week. And then obviously conservation news. I mean, Angie, so much coming out. I got to talk about uh, Botswana. Just to throw this out there for now, and we'll address this later. But Botswana just lifted the trophy hunting ban on elephants. The new president came in just so... I thought Botswana was leading the world in ecotourism. It is. It's yeah. really you're you're bringing me down, Chris. Come on. Okay. Okay. About koalas. All right. <laughs> Back to koalas. Well, here you go. What does functionally extinct mean? Right. So that's a great question. I yeah. had to do my own research to kind of uh, no. wrap my head around what that means and why I should care. Besides the fact that, of course, I care. I'm a conservationist. Yeah. But yeah. How, why should other people care and take note of that? And what does it mean? Yeah, and there and we know of a lot of species that are functionally extinct. I mean, Sumatran rhino. I mean, look at these species, critically low numbers that you know that they are functionally extinct, but the koalas are heading that way. And basically, they the way they define it is whose population is so low that it it doesn't affect the ecosystem much anymore. They've lost so much hab- habit habitat that their fate sealed. You know, it's like they're not going to make it, or really the, a small population that you start to see a lot of inbreeding and really, if, you know, influences their future viability. So when we talk about 40 to 80,000 koala, and like Angie said, the range is so huge that these small pockets of koala, there are small pockets of koala that are, that are definitely functionally extinct. They can't breed. They're, they're dying out. That's it. There's no more generations to come, you know, that they, they can't do it. And so they're going to die out in that area. Now, why is this happening in Australia? And please, any of our Aussie friends, if, if we misstate anything this episode, and I'm not saying the way we say things, good day, mate. You know, we, <laughs> that's fine with our please American accents. Please don't comment accents. on our horrible American accents. 
<laughs> but anything, you know, that, that might be a misstatement. Please correct us, post it on Instagram or Facebook. But from what I was reading, you know, obviously it's human driven. The climate crisis in the world has had a huge effect on Australia. They're suffering from severe droughts, you know, periodic droughts. I think right now they're not in a drought. I could be wrong. I read that it, it, it they had a really number of years of horrific drought, major fires. You know, we'll talk a little bit about eucalyptus, how those things are just like the candles, right? They just light up. They, mm-hmm. they blow up. I mean, it's just that, that oil. So had some horrific fire seasons. Koalas can't outrun that. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. toast, you know, mm-hmm. literally it's, it's really sad. So that's a major risk. They're losing a lot of their, their native lands. So facing a lot of pressure that we're going to kind of tie up at the end. But before we get there, here's a question I have for you, Angie. And I know you have a question for me that I'm not sure the answer of yet. But my question is, is koala really a bear? Because you hear koala bear. Yes. Is it Ursidae? That is a great question. And it's something we're definitely going to clear up as we move into evolution. You said you had a great evolution prepared for us because – I was thinking, this is, this is, is this our first marsupial we've covered? <laughs> you know, Doc. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> I should be going there soon. <laughs> I'm trying oh to go God. there in, in July. Uh. Yes, I can guess this. That's a Tasmanian yep. devil. Not the and tiger? I guessed it the first time. No, not the <laughs> not tiger. The Tassie the Tassie tiger. Devil. Not the Tassie tiger. The Tasmanian yes. devil. And I guessed it from that noise. So that's how in sync you and I are, for the record. That's why we're great podcast mates. Oh, I can't wait to find them. I cannot because wait to find I them in the wild. Goofy questions because I'm tired and I'm a busy mom. Uh, and yeah. then you make weird noises at me and I know what the answer <laughs> is. <laughs> that's why we're partners. I want to be sleeping in Tasmania and hear that and wake up to that. I so will. I will call you right away. I don't care. I'll be in the world. I'll pull up because this is what's so great about technology now. And I'll call up Angie and say, oh, my God, listen to this. I'll be so happy. I love it. (laughs) But, yeah, so the evolution coming up is going to be awesome. Uh, We have covered a marsupial with the uh, Tasmanian devil. But this is uh, definitely a lot of differences, especially when it comes to nutrition, too, as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... In preparing and doing all the reading about their diets and the eucalyptus, because it is that simple, but it's also not that simple. And we'll get into that when we get to nutrition. But Chris, do you think koalas smell like eucalyptus cough drops? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. They smell like, because eucalyptus is a very uh, popular aromatherapy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I know my dad used to use it in the shower to help clear sinuses and things like that. Uh, So... What do you think? They that's all they eat. So stay tuned. Maybe with us. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Some of the things I know that they do, I think they're a little stinky, but maybe not. Maybe they do smell like the eucalyptus drops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, koalas, obviously very iconic in Australia. They have this thick woolly fur coat, which you know acts like a raincoat when it rains. And and really, you know. It protects them in both high and low temperatures. Varies from typically koalas, we think, I don't know, in the States from what I've seen, you know, gray coats, 
mm-hmm. with some some white around the face and the and the underbelly, but they they are ten, they can be brown or light brown. Sure, yeah, yeah. even up to chocolate yeah. brown. I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the you know size of them thirty three inches long, weigh up to twenty pounds. So that's so not uh, huge, obviously. And you see people. Anybody's seen a koala or people holding koalas? They're, you know, they're with the size of your upper body, right? I mean, roughly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not that big, but they're definitely a stocky animal with a large head, and they basically have a vestigial or non-existent tail. So you don't think of them to have a tail. Uh, I think what's really, for me, very iconic for them are their round, big, fluffy ears. Yeah, uh, yeah. just so cute. And then. The nose, they have a spoon-shaped, long spoon-shaped, almost leathery, dark mm-hmm. brown, if not black nose with these tiny little eyes. And they're just, yeah. they're like a, they're like a Wookiee, right? I mean, yeah. I've watched enough I Star mean, Wars. John or, will be proud uh, of me. <laughs> <laughs> or they look like the uh, Ewoks, you know, kind of like an Ewok. Almost. Oh, shoot. It's not a Wookiee. Darn it. He won't be proud of me. Ewoks. I no. think I was thinking there you about go. Ewoks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, me and John are the Star Wars. Edit that nerds. out. Edit that out. What, what's a Wookiee? It's the big one. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Anybody who loves Star Wars is going to not listen to the podcast anymore. Change <laughs> that. Right. I it's meant so to, I had, Xander has an Ewok from our buddy, yes. Allison. Yes. Allison got him an Ewok. So, yeah. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Just, just. I think the orangutans are more like. Wookiees to an extent. Fair you know? enough. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. Man, I need like a Star Wars cheat sheet because I try to be cool and do all. I don't think cheats. anybody's going to fault you for not being a Star Wars nerd like John and I. It's okay. 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 <laughs> it's quite okay. And I can't believe I just said I'm trying to be cool and do Star Wars analogies because, like, <laughs> honestly, that's not cool. It's not really cool, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> just no, not in our age range. No. No, no. Oh my goodness. Um. So the range, you know, pretty much all. Of Eastern Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, some in South Australia, they, you know, most abundant on the central north coast of New South Wales and the southeast corner of Queensland. But again, these urban centers, that, that's where most of the, the urban population sure. is in Australia, you know, is right. on the east coast because central Australia is just Forget bush. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I cannot wait to get to one day. And then you have Perth way out there in Western Australia, mm-hmm. you know, so, and then, you know, obviously people in between. That'd but, be beautiful though. I would still uh, oh, love it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely go down under. Everybody go down under, go support them. <laughs> and then for those that are voting, vote, that are voting for wildlife, <laughs> vote early and vote often, right? Is that what you say in the yes. States? <laughs> yes. Vote for wildlife. I'm not promoting, you know, breaking the law. I'm not broken. Just get your friends to vote for uh, wildlife. But yeah, no, so they, you know, pretty spread out. But the the thing that was interesting about this assessment from the Australia Coal uh, Foundation is of the 128 known habitats, they're only finding koalas in 41 of them. So that is a concern. That's that a is big a concern. big, big concern. Yeah, big concern. And I think it's been stated, but just to restate it, is that koalas are arboreal, so fancy word for living trees. So they spend their whole life on trees. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit of behavior. They barely come to the ground. And, of course, they prefer to hang out in the branches of eucalyptus trees. So they need these eucalyptus forests in order to survive. And anybody who lives in an urban area... I, lived in Chicago and even in Florida where I live now, 
development just keeps, you know, paving paradise, if you will. Mm-hmm, there's there's mm-hmm. like a song about it, a 90s song about about it. And it's just the trees just keep coming down and in large pockets of it. So, and that's here in the US, of course. Uh, and I imagine it's, it's very similar in other places. And so if you live in trees, especially in your, and as we'll talk about when we get to nutrition and you're kind of picky about the types of trees that you live in because you've evolved, which Chris will talk about in evolution, to pretty much only eat one dominant species being the eucalyptus tree, you need these forest patches around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, their ecological role in eating these trees, you know, it's looking at what koalas do, you know, they, they consume yeah. Why should we love trees. them besides the fact that they're, they're Australia's they're national symbol, yeah. basically, <laughs> and they're cute as all get out. Yeah. I mean, they, they do a lot, you know, they, they consume a lot of this biomass in the Australian environment. Their droppings on the forest floor has a huge effect on the forest nutrient cycle. You know, they're, I mean, it's just, they're, they're affecting one of the things I didn't even think about. They're up there consuming, you know, a large amount, which we'll get to nutrition, a large amount of leaf matter. So that is allowing solar energy. I didn't even think about this solar energy to permeate through the trees, hitting the ground, which affects the flora and soil fauna and the microbes in the soil. And so when we start talking about conservation and biodiversity, and I've been pushing it on Instagram, I have an awesome interview coming in a couple of weeks talking about from the soil up, you know, and I always say from the air down too, you know, all in between, but we have to start looking at not just the megafauna. We have to look at the microfauna, you know, the microbes, and that all is critical to a healthy ecosystem. So koalas are critical to the Australian bush or outback the there woodlands. in the, yeah, the woodlands yeah, in, area. In, mm-hmm. in Eastern Australia. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. They're huge to it. They're huge. And there's already been a very successful push to save these guys from extinction once. Mm-hmm. No, they were, I mean, they were almost completely wiped out in the 1900s. I, you know, I was, I was kind of saving this for the end, but I'll, I'll go here now that over 10 million, they're, they're estimated up to 10 million koalas were killed in the early 1900s for their pelts. Think about and that number. 10 million. And the pelts, Insane. guess where a lot of them went? Europe. And <laughs> here, the USA. Of course. Honestly. Yeah. yeah USA. So they think numbers got down, like especially in the state of Victoria, they were down to less than a thousand, maybe a few hundred. So in each part of their their range, they were severely depleted, down to probably just a few thousand. And good old USA, I should probably play the Star Spangled Banner again. I won't, but I should play the Australian national anthem. But President Hoover, one of the good things he did, I guess, here in the United States, is he banned the import. Besides the dam, yeah, the Hoover Dam was good too. Okay. Thank you. Was it? Is it? Was it? I don't know. I think so. You're the historian buff. Sure. I'll say yes. Um, But, you know, Hoover was known as not exactly one of our best presidents because the uh, depression, but he did ban. (laughs) That little, that little, that little thing. (laughs) He did ban the pelts coming into the U.S. and then that just, the, the market crashed. And so they stopped killing them. 
But it isn't that interesting, yeah. Botswana. Yeah, how that works. I know, I know. Boycott Botswana till that guy gets uh it makes me sick. All right. Angie, I gotta uh, this is gonna be a five hour podcast. It's not people, don't hang up, don't stop listening because the koalas are awesome. But <laughs> I really dorked out on on <laughs> I really dorked out on evolution because Australian evolution is just I learned a lot. It's so different. It's so unique. It's it so, is. and just another reason too, uh, just a quick pitch mm-hmm. about why I care about them besides mm-hmm. everything else we've talked about is koalas evolved to live on the Australia continent. They've been there forever. Chris is going to sum it up in a two minute. We'll see. Yep. Or so we'll try. thing, but you're going to learn a lot. You're going to love it, but they've been there for forever. And Australia's indigenous people have depicted them in myths in cave art for a millennia. Mm-hmm. So they've been the symbol of Australia. Obviously, now they're one of the main iconic animals from Australia. But historically, for a millennia, they've been important to the culture. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, they're critical. So I mean, there's should care. We need to save these guys. Yes. They're incredible. Yeah. Please, please, Australia, save your koalas. Please tell us what to do. We'll do it. Yes, tell us Americans how we can help too. Yeah. I know we're, we seem far away, so yeah. we got to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got an election coming up at some point too. Um, all right. The groups of mammals. Do you remember the monotreme that we covered? I do, the platypus. Yes. So I'm on fire tonight. Good, good. It was a, it was a three-day weekend over here. <laughs> I got extra sleep. Yes. Yeah, you had fun with the kids. Watch out, world. Yeah, the weather's turning. So, yeah, the monotremes, the egg-laying mammals, so the platypus and the echidnas. Then you have the ethereal animals, which are mammals, which is Angie, me, you know, whales, the ones that, that placental mammals, that's where we came from. Then you have the marsupials, so the kangaroos, koalas, possums, all of that, and they are the ones that have the pouches. So we said the Tassie devils, things like that. Long time ago, this really breaking out the the monotremes, you know, just quick review, broke off 166 million years ago. I mean, a time frame you can't even think about. Marsupials and the Eutherians broke up, broke off or split off about 148 million years ago. So this is around the time of dinosaurs, people. T-Rex. So I don't even think T-Rex was around 148 million years ago. It was some other animal. T-Rex was the one that was like, 50, 60 million years ago. So long time ago is when these animals started evolving. Now, <laughs> it's so much fun, Angie. I'm such a dork. The marsupials are just, uh, they're amazing. So here you had a break, you break off, you broke off over hundred million years ago. Do you know what continent marsupials evolved on? Why is, ooh. Hmm. Australia? No, <laughs> that's okay. where they live. But that's what no. I would guess. No, yeah. no. North. Why is everything North America? Everything. That's what. I, yeah. Okay. What Can the I heck? Go back? That, yeah. That's actually because the answer usually is North America, and we have marsupials, mm-hmm. a marsupial here mm-hmm. that we still need to cover the possum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, that would have been my guess, but I felt like you peer pressured me in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> but why? I got I have to. Fi- I have to figure this oh, out. Not because I. Not because I know anything. No. I just. It's always randomly North America. It is. Why? So, why? Why? Why is like rhinos evolved here? Horses evolved here. Mm-hmm. All of these major classes of mammals. 
I just don't get it. I, I've got to go back and, and do the research and, and dork out on this because there must have been something about this part of the world when the meteor hit. Like, because I was thinking, you know, the Yucatan Peninsula is where it blew up 60 million years ago. Right. You know, did it just mean that ecosystem recovered quicker than, say, other parts of the world that died off slowly? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that's actually an interesting theory. I don't know. Like, it just it, it blows my mind why North America just had this explosion in mammals. All right. So this is what's really interesting. So the marsupials evolved in North America, then migrated to South America. Now, I know we said in Tassie Devils. That makes sense. Okay. That there's some debate. But I think I think the general consensus is, this is what, this is what really drove me, like, wow, wowed me. <laughs> They, they migrated to South America to Antarctica. Oh, that is so deep. I'm like, what? South. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they go into Antarctica and I'm like, okay, was that frozen? It wasn't. Hey, what did it look like? Oh, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. And I think that's part of why there's, there's still debate because, you know, you don't have archaeologists or paleontologists or whoever studies this stuff down in Antarctica digging for fossils. I just, I just read a really cool uh, paleontologist book to Xander and Zach tonight. And it was really, it was cool. It was naming a lot of the people that got started finding different fossils and specimens. Mm -hmm. And one of them was mm -hmm. actually Mary. Annings, a woman. It was the first time I mm -hmm, heard about a mm -hmm. this woman paleontologist and her some of her her findings over there in, I believe, London. Um, so yeah, it was just really, really interesting. And it gave me a, a quick history on paleontology. And yeah. who knows, maybe, maybe Xander will be the first one to be like, I'm gonna go down to Antarctica. <laughs> and dig up fossils. Yeah. <laughs> which which, you know, hey, that would be amazing because it's it's probably, you know, but at that point, you know, you're talking tens of million years ago, it was a vibrant continent. They, they have found right. some fossils on it. And what was interesting was Australia was part of the Antarctic continent. So the marsupials gotcha. okay. they just zipped moved on over. into there. And then it, about 55 million years ago is when, it, when Australia started moving north. Gotcha. And so it broke off. And then the marsupials became isolated then you had probably a frozen bunch of animals once it got super cold over millions of years but they eventually sure. that whole biome changed at, at the uh, the south pole so very very interesting they now they've they've found in australia fossils dating back 25 million years ago of koala cool and they think the last really major evolution change in koalas happened about 15 million years ago which is interesting that this is why I love this natural history. They called it the ice house phase. And so about 15 million years ago, the earth got colder, you know, the normal, you know, up and down. Now this is normal, not like today where it's rapid. This is over thousands of years. It got colder. So the, the, the rainforest, all that stuff in Australia started to die off, but eucalyptus took off. It was perfect. Ah perfect mm -hmm. for that environment so except for that it's poisonous to most animals so yes then there's, there's yes that. yeah but th that's why koalas thrived so 15 million years ago you know this is like the last major shift in koala evolution now the koala's closest relative is actually the wombat 
Mm-hmm. So I know another we'll, we'll, awesome we'll def- critter we need to yeah. cover. Them or the quals. I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's so many. There's so many cool ones down there. Now, just finally, you know, because again, this would be a five hour podcast if I really got into it. The species name of the koala is Faz, Fazcol Arctis cinerus. So Fazcol Arctis cinerus. Very good. A plus. Yeah. Now, there is debate on subspecies. And there's really no general consensus yet. And again, go back a few pods. We talk about why, because scientists like to argue sometimes. No, I mean, it went to DNA and all that fun stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot more technologies now to date or to assess things a little bit differently. Yeah, than just looking at them. But, they, you know, if they're the three subspecies that they kind of think might be the Queensland koala, New South Wales koala, or Victorian koala. But there's not a, a consensus on that yet. Okay, this one I've been dying. I've been dying. I've been dying to get to you. Okay. The most surprising marsupial from Australia. Can you guess? I'll cry if you know this. <laughs> How do you, most surprising? Like, what's surprising about it? Uh, you would not think it was a marsupial. You would not oh. think it to be a marsupial. Is it, is it an animal I, I, I know about, though? Like, I've heard of it? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. You might see it one day. Hmm. An animal that is a marsupial, and you'd be like, "What?" Hmm. I love this game. This is the best part of the podcast <laughs> for me. <laughs> I love puzzles and crosswords and all that. Uh, Sudoku. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Can I have a hint? When I find it, I'll be famous. <laughs> the Tasmanian tiger. Yes. Oh, yes. That's why we're Thank partners. You. That is bizarre. Oh You're right. Oh my god. Oh. Weird. How, how is the Tassie tiger, which is extinct, people went extinct in the early 20th century, but some people think it might still be roaming in the wilds of Australia. I don't know, but and I joke about finding it. But they had pouches. They're marsupials. They're carnivorous marsupials. What? Yes. So the females, like the Tassie devils, has a rear-facing pouch. Then, then listen to this. The males have a pouch too to suck up their testicles to protect them. <laughs> so if you get in a fight, maybe that's what they bite. I don't know. Oh but my gosh. Both males and females had them. And oh, I was like, are you kidding me? The Tasmanian tiger is a marsupial. It's carnivorous marsupial. I was like, wow. Again, huh. why I love this podcast. Yeah. There you go. Now we can end it. No, I was going to say, that's mind blown. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So when I find it again, I'm going to go out there. Me and Lee and Bailey and all of us are going to go out and look for uh, Tazzy Tigers. And Crazy. <laughs> find them in the outback somewhere. Yeah. Um, all right. So koalas, again, I think the things we must think about as conservation, average lifespan is about 10 to 12 years. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they don't live as long is and because they don't, you know, you think about it, they're up in the trees. They're usually generally protected. I mean, the predators that I, I will say this real quick, because I know once I get on nutrition, you, you're going to go for an hour. The dingoes, <laughs> you know, <me laughs> there so are well. raptors. Yeah, the raptors and then the predatory owl uh, are their natural predators. But, you know, one of the major reasons they don't live as long as because eating this eucalyptus wears down their teeth, teeth don't regrow. And so they end up just starving to death because they they can't eat anymore. And yeah, Chris, under human care, they can live 
almost double, if not longer. Uh, the oldest koala female was 23, and she lived at the Lone Pine Sanctuary in Queensland. Her name was Sarah. And then the oldest male lived to be 22. His name was Tam Tam, and he lived in a zoo in Tokyo. So it's double the life expectancy um, in the wild. Or in so. the wild. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, males are bucks, females are does, mm-hmm. and the babies are... Joey's. And a couple other fun things. The Their body temperature tends to be a little bit lower, 97 degrees Fahrenheit, 36.6 degrees Celsius, just due to their low metabolic rate. We're getting nutrition, Angie. Don't go <laughs> yet. I know you're excited. They, you know... Their their hands have five digits, so they, they can grip and live in the trees. And this blew me away, too. And I bet you there are Aussies knew this, but I didn't. I did not know this. Koalas have fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Do you know the species that have fingerprints? Here you go. I'll put you on the spot. Well, definitely gorillas and chimpanzees. Yeah, there you go. Bing, bing, bing. Okay. Yeah, smart. Dr. Angie's in the house. Yeah, and us. And then do you, koalas. Do you want me to tell you the part of the dermal layer where fingerprints come from? <laughs> no. <laughs> because I can you, go there. You want to. I, it's, it's so funny how life all like coordinates itself and the stars align. Yeah. I just learned this, this in my physiology class. We're talking about the integumentary system, which is the skin. And yeah, the dermal papillae, which is basically the layer between your epidermis and your dermis, mm-hmm. the deep part, it looks like uh, a wave. And that's called the dermal papillae. And it's basically how you can separate, if you're looking under a microscope, besides cell shape and layers, it's how you can separate the epidermis from the dermis. And of course, they have different functions, yada, blada. Uh, but the dermal papillae layer uh, and the epidermal ridges in between them are different on everybody. And that's your fingerprint. Why? Why do we all have different fingerprints? <laughs> well, now you're just, now you're just there, getting but... deep. Now you're getting like too deep. I, I just teach it. I don't, it's not, it's not, this isn't, this isn't physiology philosophical class. Uh, this isn't, what did it be? Like physiology, philosophy. Okay. How about this? Phil- what do fingerprints do? Physiology, I can't say it. It's too many P's. Philosophical. (laughs) Physiology. (laughs) Philosophical physiology. There I go. Physiology. Oh, my goodness. So why do we have fingerprints? What do you think? Like why – what do they do? I don't think they do anything. I I think they're – I think it's just that everybody's – Well, I think those ridges help us grip too, don't you think? Sure. And I just think that – I think the body is super – I just think it might be really sloppy. (laughs) It could be. It probably uh, is. We don't, we don't know the answer. Uh, and so, but I, yeah. but I do think that, yeah, these ridges, they just, for everybody might be, because they really are, it's like a wave. And so everybody's going to have different size fingers a little bit and shapes. And so it's just going to lay down the epidermal ridges or the dermal papillae layer is going to lay down a little different on everybody. But I don't know. I will say this. Chris. I will say this. Like when you're in water and you start to get uh, all the folds, that is an evolutionary adaptation to being able to grip in water, you know, like, so things don't slip. So our, our fingers, you get those, those folds in your feet and your hands. Oh, so. Okay. Well, yeah. that might be why it happens. Maybe. I don't know. No, I, don't know. I just well, teach. Let's a, get a fingerprint expert. I know. I know. <laughs> I just teach the physiology of it is that uh, because your cells like with salt water and things like that, the water 
and your cells basically dehydrates. Wanna, well, yeah, they want to move towards the solutes. They want to move out of the cell into the interstitial fluid, and therefore your your cells like shrink down, and so therefore you get pruny. But that's all about like chemistry and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the, the chemistry behind it. Happen, but why? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Helps us grip. Helps you grip. I like it. All right. So what are the cool facts? Their pouches are sideways, upside down, upside up, <laughs> inside out, and backwards. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no. Well, so most marsupials, we're all familiar with the kangaroo, and we will cover them. I actually got to work with kangaroos back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, but. So the typical kangaroo, if you think about it, with a joey sticking its head out, they have a pouch that opens upwards towards the mama's head. But koalas Mm -hmm. are different, and they have a pouch that opens towards their hind legs. And researchers or evolutionary experts think the reason their pouch opens towards the bottom, it might be an adaptation from their prehistoric cousin, the wombat, who lives on the ground and digs a lot in the dirt. And so they don't want, you don't want, dirt to get in the pouch, especially when there's joeys in there. Um, and so obviously koalas went from the ground and evolved up into the trees to get that niche of eucalyptus leaves, but their pouch is still facing basically backwards, if you will. And then just to add to their temperature regulation, koalas will often lick themselves. Um, and it's because they don't have any sweat glands. So it's just, they cool themselves through evaporation, through licking themselves. And then also uh, by hugging trees. Koalas are a native tree hugger, literally mm-hmm. and <laughs> figuratively, right? Uh, so they should be the – that should be the animal on a tree hugger. Like we should make I – mean, there has to be a tree hugger shirt out there that has Yeah, a so there should be. If not, somebody make that. Nature's first tree hugger. Seriously. But they do it to cool themselves. And so scientists have used – thermal cameras to watch the koalas that are just hanging out in the trees. And they've seen that when the weather's warm, they move to the lower parts of the trees and press themselves against it, gave it a big hug and um, trying to fit their bottoms into the coolest spot. So, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, and they, the, you know, one of the last cool facts I have is these things sleep a lot. I guess that goes into behavior, which we'll get to, but, they sleep like 18 hours on average per day because their diet that we've talked about is eucalyptus. So if you go back to the people that, you know, are, are fans that have listened to all the podcasts and listened to the panda episode, we talk a lot about this carnivorous bear that just eats bamboo. You know, it has the digestive system of its cousin, the brown bear, the grizzly that we just covered a couple weeks ago. Carnivore. But it eats. Mm-hmm carnivore but it eats bamboo or omnivore but eats bamboo and it's just there's no nutrients in there it's just so low in nutrients so eucalyptus is very very similar so a koala is is not getting the nutrients to be very active so when i was walking at the zoo this weekend around the koala exhibit in preparation for this podcast they all were sleeping you know, because that's what they do. That's what carnivores do to conserve energy. That's what koalas do. That's what pandas do, you know, because there are not a lot of nutrients. Now, Angie has said eucalyptus are very toxic, but I think Angie's, um, before she gets running with it, I do want to say that they can tolerate this 
toxin. Now, just real quick to dork out on eucalyptus because I did read this. I was very curious, and this week on Instagram, I'm going to be posting some stuff about it because we have a ton of eucalyptus in California, a ton. And I grew up around eucalyptus. Eucalyptus is native to Australia, around Australia. I think there's some some species in some of like Indonesia or something, but they're they are not naturally found outside of Australia. Good old humans a long time ago said, hey, this is a great idea. Let's bring this plant over and plant it here and, and in Europe and other parts. So eucalyptus, they brought eucalyptus to California as, you know, hopefully they were hoping it would turn into something for wood, a wood product because it grows so well. Nope. It's terrible wood product. They have to mature to be like a hundred years old before you cut them down to make any sort of wood out of them. So it's a big want want. The other problem is it goes up like a, uh, I'm going to say some bad words, a Roman candle. So when there's fires and we have a lot of fires here in California, eucalyptus are horrible like they're seen in Australia. So we have a ton of eucalyptus here. There's over 600 species in Australia. Angie's just itching to go about nutrition because these guys are very picky eaters, but we do have it here. And there's probably other parts of the world that our listeners are at that have eucalyptus. So I'm going to do some eucalyptus. I'm not going to be eating any, but I will be messing with some this week and posting some stuff on social media. But yeah, just a, a, a peculiar tree. And this species is perfect for it. Well, yeah, I think in Australia, they probably have like a symbiotic relationship. That's for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Because not many species want to chew on eucalyptus leaves. That's for sure. Nope. Um, nope. And the leaves are highly toxic. And the animals, koalas get around this by having gut microbes, a gut flora, bacteria in their stomachs that can metabolize the toxins from the leaves and render it inactive basically. Uh, and, and just to dork out a little bit more for my nutrition fans out there, the koalas, when they, their gut microbes are in their hindgut. And so they're considered hindgut fermenters. And this digest, the digestion of eucalyptus leaves, Chris, this is incredible because I know you've We've done a lot of retention time studies in mm-hmm. our different nutrition labs at Texas and both here at, the net, here at UF. The retention time, so how long it, from when it goes mm-hmm. in the koala to out the door, koala poop, <laughs> yeah, right? Poop. Yeah. We'll be talking about here shortly, is about 100 hours in the wild and about 200 hours under human care. That's crazy. That's a long time. That's, That's a long time in the digestive tract. A yeah. long time in the digestive tract. Yeah. And this is made possible because they have a really long cecum. So that's basically like an expansion of the large, the first part of the large, where the small intestine meets the large intestine. Uh, and it's 200 centimeters or 80 inches long. And, and and this is a this is a small animal. Yes, <laughs> this isn't this isn't a huge you know horse or something or a, a hoofstock. This is a what do we say a twenty pound you know animal. Right. So that is super long for them. Super long. Well, you're very good because it's actually the largest uh, proportion of any animal. So proportionally for the their size, side, yeah. it's the yeah. longest and the largest. And then what they can do is large particles of these will pass through more quickly. And then in the cecum, the koala has a, the ability basically 
to select food particles that can retain longer in fermentation if need be, probably to break down more toxins. And larger particles of leaves will typically pass through more quickly. So it's just really fascinating the special gut microbes that they have that can break down these toxins and that they'll that the leaves will sit in their hind gut for that long, just trying to break down and gain energy. But what what also fascinated me, Chris, is that typically when we talk about herbivores and how they gain um, energy from the different forms of digestion that they have, whether they're hind gut or foregut fermenters, but koalas only gain 10% of energy from this fermentation process. So it's obviously they need that 10%, but it's just, it's not, it's not super rewarding, um, in my opinion, but, but that's why they have such a, Mm -hmm. they have like their metabolic rate is half of a typical mammal. And of course it varies depending on sexes and seasons and things like that. But, uh, it's just really interesting. And so their, their pellets, their poop is, is very high in undigested fiber and, Therefore, and also protein, which you mentioned earlier in the podcast, is actually a really great fertilizer for the forest floors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just super fascinating. And in order to do this, um, the koala has a special special cheek teeth to grind the tough. Because anybody who's ever seen a eucalyptus leaf, they're tough. They're they're thick leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can also store food in their cheek pouches. And kind of like a cow, they'll, they've been known to actually regurgitate it and re-chew it a second time if need be. So that's <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> yummy. So, Sounds so yummy. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. Um, but well, I think the other thing that's really important to mention, and I'm sure the keepers you talked with can uh, probably go on for days about this, but there's hundreds of eucalyptus species in Australia, native mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Koala will eat maybe only 20 of them, but really actually only like five. So yeah, and that's, that's a, and that's the challenge, right? So you have over 600 species of eucalyptus trees. You can't just say, go eat. No, they, they are very picky on the type of trees. So when you start cutting down those specific trees, you cut away their food source and they won't survive. Right, right. right. And researchers, they think that, we as humans are just like, oh, they're just picky because they want to be picky. But researchers believe that there's actually a physiological adaptation for their pickiness. They're not just your typical kid that's like, mom, I don't want red sauce on my noodles. I want mm-hmm. butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually due to the toxicity level of the plant. They think that koalas can actually sniff out the toxins and determine if it's too toxic of leaf. Because of course, too, uh, plants can vary in their toxins depending on if it's a new growth, old growth, if it's diseased, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, so in general, there are certain species that are less toxic and probably easier for them to digest and to feel better with. Um, and so they will choose those over some of the other ones, which is also really incredible if you think about, I mean, I guess we've all smelled bad food before, like bad milk or mm-hmm. bad meat or something. Mm-hmm. And been like, yeah. whoa, oh, yeah. I'm not eating that. Um, but to me, it, it must be a really refined or whatever molecule they're detecting. Because to me, eucalyptus just smells like delicious menthol. 
Uh, don't eat it, please. Yeah, don't yeah. eat it, well, please. Well, and it's kind of funny because I read on some site, they're like, oh, well, do koalas get drugged out from eating eucalyptus leaves because they have such that intense smell? And the answer is no. That's a uh, koalas are not high all the time. Um, they, <laughs> they are, may act it, but it's <laughs> they're not. I mean, they have a low they have a low metabolic rate. They're just they're just tired. <laughs> they're not high. They're yeah. tired. Uh, they don't have a yeah. lot of energy. They do all this work, and then they don't they don't really get a lot of energy from it, and so they sleep a lot because basically the eucalyptus leaves contain toxins, and they're low in nutrition and high in fibrous matter, so they need to rest a lot. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, but with that being said, to answer my uh, my question to you in the beginning, so they eat all this eucalyptus. Do you think they smell like the cough drops or some of the aromatherapy? Maybe oils? their breath. I don't know. Maybe their breath. I don't know. I, th- the, I, th- I thought I read the males were stinky, but I don't know. Well, the males have a gland, and they rub all over yeah. trees. Cute behavior. But yes, Chris, koalas smell like eucalyptus cough drops. Okay. They okay. have a very pleasant eucalyptus smell to them in general. Now, as you mentioned, males do have that strong odor because of a scent gland, and it and it can be musky. So it's like musk mixed with eucalyptus. It's probably actually mm-hmm. would be a really hot selling um, cologne for men. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try that. That or their gland, right? Their pheromones. But Chris, but it's also really cool because this smell or whatever acts as a natural insect repellent. Okay. Okay. Maybe I will use it as a cologne when I'm out in Tasmania. I always use the, um, I always use, what is it? The, um, not chamomile, the uh, citronella. I use citronella a lot. I burn those candles or oils. Uh, So yeah, I'll try eucalyptus to see if that works. Especially all those massive mosquitoes in Florida that like pick you up and fly you away. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, that is yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned I've learned I've learned to live in in harmony with them. I'm just like, whatever. Take my blood. It's yeah, all go, good. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> give me a nice welt that I get to itch for three days. The but I mean it's nutrition, I mean you and I know we, we're kind of nutrition geeks sometimes. It drives a lot of what certain species can do. You know, when we talk about predators and and now we have a herbivore that is eating a very low nutrient diet. So behavior, like I wrote, they just sleep, right? I mean, there's yeah, some cool stuff they do. It. Obviously, oh. some social stuff. Yeah, you know, you, there's social you, stuff, you, right? You yeah. figured it out. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> That's it. But they're sleeping to conserve energy, and they're pretty they're pretty sedentary. So. And because of sleeping between 18 to 22 hours a day, they're pretty sedentary. Um, they're nocturnal. So the other thing about, as you mentioned, we were visiting the San Diego Zoo, you were there during the day, I would presume, right? So mm-hmm. if they are going to be active or when they are active, it's usually more at night. And of course, they will occasionally come down to the ground to go to another tree or they'll lick up soil and gravel, which can help in digestion and also it get, can give them calcium. And as far as social goes, they're not an extremely social animal at all. Uh, it's typically just moms and their joeys uh, that have a relationship outside of breeding season. They'll live in loose-knit, loose-knit groups if there's the right amount of trees around, uh, but only one animal per tree. Like, we don't, unless it's a mom and a joey, we're not sharing a tree, which I can highly respect that, so... 
Yeah, give me my space. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and so, but they can live in these small harems that's led by a single male, all individual trees. But yeah, they're pretty much asocial. And some researchers have quoted, I love this, for all my introvert friends out there. Uh, they're very asocial and they can spend, they sp- on average, they spend about 15 minutes a day on social behaviors. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. So I think you almost said social media. I was like, what? No, no. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. so just social behaviors. And so yeah, they're they're pretty much extrovert or introverted. Uh nothing wrong with that, right? And depending on where they live, they can have a home range of one and a half to three hectares if they're a male, or about one hectare if they're a female. Uh, so it just depends on the size of the forest as far as uh and, and well since they have these fixed home ranges, as you mentioned earlier, when you knock those down, it's hard, they don't, it's hard for them just to regroup and go find another area, especially if there's not woods anywhere around. Um, and yes, although they do sleep a lot and they probably will be sleeping when you go visit them at a zoological park, they do have a lot of personality. I've known keepers that have worked with them. Of course you interviewed some, but they say that each koala has its own its own personality. Some are easier to get along with. Some can be more stubborn and they make several different vocalizations from snores. Well, cause they sleep a lot, but to bellows, to grunts, to squeaks, if they're little juveniles or screams. And, and the other thing too, with this personality, Chris is koalas make numerous facial expressions. They snarl, they wail, They'll curl their upper lip and point their ears forward. Sometimes they retract their lips. Uh, They will um, bring their lips forward and raise their ears when agitated. So I need some koala keepers out there to send me pictures of this because I just have, I just already, I I love them for sleeping, for being as cute as they are and for sleeping as much as they Mm do and for the fact that they can detoxify eucalyptus leaves, but Thinking about different koala facial expressions makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to see some of those. Uh, but they they definitely yeah. they, they have this teddy bear appearance, but they they're they're complex critters, and mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. and then for the keepers or people that work with them under human care, they they sometimes have they can be challenging because of their personalities and attitudes, and of course their dietary needs. Uh, definitely not a pet, of course not. Um, and they're definitely worth saving so we can learn more about these these subtle intricacies that I think are worthy to figure out how they've evolved to be such awesome rock stars that just hang out in trees eating eucalyptus leaves. I mean, it's pretty, it's yeah, pretty darn yeah. cool, uh, in my opinion. And uh, it's really important. Uh, and they're just such an icon to Australia. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's every species has some sort of social behavior. I mean, even insects have some social behavior. Oh, they have a lot like ants and bees. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, in those, those six hours they're awake, there's a lot going on besides they're just stuffing their faces. Screw you. You just got to capture that, capture that 15 minutes of social behavior. Cause I bet there is a lot. They're making some faces. They're making some noises. They're busy. Uh, uh, and but speak- reminds me, Angie, of all the studies you made me do with you and social behaviors and equids and hoofstock and how much I loved it. 
you know, but 70% of the day they're just eating and how boring it was. <laughs> study koalas, social behavior, that 15 minutes. But that thing about that 15 minutes is like Emmy winning, like award winning <laughs> yes. time where you just get to be there in awe and say like, I saw this, I saw that female make this face that is super yeah. cute and then send us a picture of it. That's so. why we have cameras today and, you know, we can, we can observe them from, from afar and then watch the video. So before you get to repro, Angie, I want to see if I can stump you. Stump the chump. <laughs> let her rip. I got stumped. I'm feeling on fire tonight, so we'll see. Okay, okay. I will drop the mic and just walk off if you get this because oh, I shoot. screwed that it up. Oh, shoot. That means it's hard. And I'm, and I'm a repro expert, and this was um, uh, a veterinarian, big interview coming up. On wildlife and zoo vets. So been requested quite a bit and, and we should be announcing this interview in a couple weeks. So he asked me, and this is a good cocktail question. So people can, can write this down unless you're driving. Don't write this down. Just try to remember it. All right. What breeds only once a year during a full moon for three days in August? Hmm. Is it a mammal? I'm not going to oh, your guess. You're, I, you're I, you not answering makes me a sea turtle. No, that's a good guess, though. With it is in the ocean. With the moon, with the ocean. It is in the ocean. Yeah. Oh, it is, it the, is ocean. In the ocean. Yeah. It's Did in I the get further? Okay. I'm done. Did so I get That's per- much better than me. That's, I, got- <laughs> I said. Yes. I, that just made I know my he's- whole night. I love it. <laughs> he, said, he, said his, he said his wife, and I know who his wife is. And I was like, Rhinos, like an idiot. Sharks, <laughs> so mad Sharks. at me. No, 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 no. You wouldn't even think these are alive, and they're alive. And they, the gametes gets uh, oh, coral. It's a major spawn. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good night. Chris but, is gone. Chris, Good night. You, you trained me. Good like isn't it, it's it's a compliment to you if I do better than you, right? Isn't that okay. right? Like I'm if, done. Podcast if, over. If I get the job in San Diego, like that means you were a good mentor. If I get these questions okay. right, it means you did a good job. And I'm smarter. Uh, you're, uh, so, you know. Yes, you are smarter. Oh, my gosh. It is coral. I Not in a million years would I, I guess I should coral. have gotten. Well, you gave me lots of hints. Uh, uh, but, yeah, the moon, the ocean. Um, yeah, coral. During a full moon, they they spawn, which we I know you said we have to do coral. I've been talking it's, about coral for yeah. months now. I just need to to just get on it, that. It's on our radar. Mm-hmm. It's on our radar. We will dive into the literature because coral thirty three percent of all corals are heading towards well, extinction. Well, and if anybody out there listening mm-hmm. still, if you're still listening, God bless you. First of all, <laughs> and second of all, if you know a coral, any coral experts, expert, email us. Yeah. Because I or link us up, yeah we, yeah corals like the especially Great Barrier Reef right there in in, in Oz. Oh, in you Florida, know, uh, ours are getting Florida, torn up. yeah, 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 bleaching and and just all the stuff that's happening. So he said coral. I was like, oh my, I was like such an idiot. I'm gonna cut out the rhino parts. <laughs> so, so stupid. <laughs> but I was like, Angie won't know this. I'm gonna ask her. She knows it, of course. Kind of half, halfway, half there. Half, half. Yeah, it was Teamwork. good though. Good job. Teamwork. Okay. All right. Well, speaking right. about repro and yes. uh, talking about koalas, I'm not sure how we we're talking about coral, but now we're talking about koalas. Uh, so koalas are polygamous. They're not very picky. And they are seasonal breeders. And, and births are going to take place in the middle of spring in Australia 
through summer into early autumn. So basically October to May, right? Because they're on the lower half, they're on the down under. Mm-hmm. I thought I was so smart. What's that called? Down under, they're on the other side of the equator, so <laughs> yeah. the southern hemisphere. <laughs> southern hemisphere for a thousand dollars, Alex. Yes, okay. So because they're in the summer, uh, southern hemisphere, right? So their their summer and spring is going to be basically October to May. Does that make sense? Yeah, our no, it's our fall, our winter, our fall and northern is hemisphere, be their spring and summer, right? Holy yeah, so man. right now it's 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 May here. It's still cold in California, whatever reason, but it's almost summer here. And then it's almost winter there. Gotcha. Okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so during the breeding season, October through February, adult males are actually going to be very active at night. That might be a good time to go watch them. They are fighting with other males, ejecting their rivals, getting them out of their their area, and seeing which females are receptive. Well, during the breeding season, it might be a fun time to go out there with your, your audio recorder too because they make – a lot of the males will make loud bellowing calls. They do like harsh inhalations followed by growling and all sorts of just just fun things to basically tell the other males that they're tough and they're going to get the female. Whereas females, they make some vocalizations, but it's going to be more of sometimes wailing or distress if they're being harassed by a male and just not quite as vocal, of course, as the males are. But with the females being seasonally polyesterous, so multiple estruses during their season, uh, their cycle is going to be about 27 to 30 days, and they usually breed about once every year. A female is not going to become seasonally active until she's about two years old, and similar for a male, but a male is not going to actually be able to score any females, if you will, until he's about four or five years old. But when females are in estrus, this is a behavior I need to, I don't know why. Behavior just makes me giggle, I think, because I relate it to people so much. But anyways, when a, um, when a female's in estrus, so high in estrogen and receptive to a male, she tends to hold her head farther back than usual. Okay, if you can picture that, she's in a tree, I just picture. And so when a female is in estrus, she'll hold her head back further than normal. So I picture her in a tree, just leaning her head back more than normal. And she'll sometimes display tremors and spasms. But researchers, I don't know why that just makes me laugh, but researchers don't know if males can actually recognize this uh, or if they're more going off of pheromones or chemical signs, but it basically is still a signal or the female's trying to signal to him that like, she's, she's, uh, receptive. So I just think that's a funny signal, just leaning the head back and having a little tremor. But once a uh, male and female do copulate, the gestation period is only 25 to 35 days. So very short, no right? Very short, very short. But it makes sense because litters of usually only one Joey are born, but twins have been reported, but just very common to a marsupial when they're born they are itty bitty, less than 0.5 grams. I used to describe an, a joey when it's born for kangaroos as like a little jelly mm-hmm. bean with basically a little mouth. <laughs> yeah, like mi- enough arm buds to like, because obviously the joey is born from the vagina, but then it has to like a little jelly bean basically has to like crawl up into the pouch and mm-hmm. attach the nipple. 
and the koala has two nipples um, inside the pouch. And But this little itty-bitty thing that's just, I don't even know how it moves, right? It's just this pink little little jelly bean, I guess. So yeah. very, very underdeveloped, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. But because of that, the joeys in a koala will stay in the pouch for five to seven months feeding on milk. Mm. And what's really interesting, and it makes sense, but koalas have one of the lowest milk energy production rates per its body in proportion to its body size in any mammal. And it, and it makes sense because they don't really, their diets are so low in nutrition. Low, right? yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but they make up for it by lactate. So they lactate for up to 12 months, which is really long for a small mammal, having that mm-hmm, kind of motherly mm-hmm. bond and sacrifice, right, um, for, for offspring. So... But what's really cool, and actually Rob Lang, Rob Lang, I've got to give him a shout out from Underdone Comics. He posted this little nugget of information about koalas in one of his brilliant, brilliant comics. And I'm sure we'll, we'll link it when we uh, post this. And so as the joeys grow in the pouch, they're drinking this milk, but they're getting bigger and bigger and they might start popping their head out and things like that. So before they actually start eating the leaves, which is really cute behavior, it's been reported, it's almost like they're bobbing for apples because they don't really know like how to eat the leaves and how to get them and stuff. So that's super cute. But before they do that, they have to train their digestive system and they have to load up microbes the same way, mm-hmm. it's, you know, in pop, it's in pop culture now, popular press to take probiotics and yes. fix your gut <laughs> microbes. Well- yeah. Yeah. Joey's have evolved their own unique strategy to do that. So yummy, Angie. Just so yummy. I knew you were, you were just going to die when you got to talk about this. Yes. And it actually has a name. <laughs> so yes. koala joeys feed on their mother's pap. Well, pap sounds it sounds like a nice English word, right? Like pap. <laughs> yes. Honey, okay. please, sir, I want some more. No. Do you want some you more You don't want pap? pap. I would love more no. pap. Nope. Well, nope. Nope. <laughs> So what pap is basically kind of like a pasty soup that's made from the mom's droppings, so her poop. Uh, But it's a very protein-rich mix of poop that is full of the gut microbes that the joeys need to basically jumpstart their digestive system. Their cecum, needs, they need to load their cecum up so when they do start eating these toxic plants that they don't mm-hmm. die. It's it's, it's mm-hmm. really important. And so the Joe – and I saw a video of it. I could put it on our show notes or have Chris put it on our show notes. <laughs> they basically just lap up their mom's um, fecal paste pap stuff. And <laughs> so, of course, people no. have taken video of this, like zooming in on it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's an important, it's a really important, it's an important it behavior. It and it I think, it, in my mind, Chris, because I'm such a nutrition dork, it actually makes them more cute to me. Because as I always tell people, why I love working with herbivores is chewed up grass, not a problem. I'll pick up manure for days, I'll walk barefoot in it, I don't care. It's just chewed up leaves. Carnivore. F- Poop, stinky, poop is nasty, forget yeah, it's nasty. about it. Dog poop, yeah, it's ugh. nasty. So, yeah, a little pap never hurt anybody, and it really helped. <laughs> it really helped the Joey. So that's my, that's my, that's my fun cocktail fact, Chris. <laughs> there you go. Not the corals, but pap. 
but they're, you know, it's, yeah. And I know somebody who studies microbes, they've looked at the evolutionary history. Like imagine passing on those microbes from generation to generation. So looking at their DNA and tracking that. Would sure. Be kind of I mean, cool. so koalas in my book are great mothers, especially yeah. for a marsupial. Oh, yeah. They nurse them for up to 12 months and they let them eat their pap. So bless their hearts. And phenomenal fathers that are never around. <laughs> <laughs> they make really even. cool vocalizations during breeding season. They get really active. So, and they're cute like, as all. Hey, and they're cute there. as all get out. Even I, like I yeah. want to see an aggressive koala face. That also would make me happy. Like what? How? How bad could it be? Right? Like how aggressive could it be? They're, they're so stinking cute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they are now. Okay, looking at conservation, it, it, a couple things. So it's it's if you go look at IUCN, and that's who Angie and I always turn to when we look at numbers because they are the the authority, the universal authority on our planet. They have you know anywhere from a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, but they go middle road and say about three hundred thousand koalas left. Now this is as of two thousand twelve. They do recognize population declines as severe as 80%. Now, since this last census, Australia has gone through severe drought and suffered some more habitat loss. Right. What year was this again? 2012 was our last assessment. Yeah, that's wild. So, so when the Australia Koala Foundation comes out with their report, you know, they have actually spent millions of dollars looking into this. And just to give you some estimates that they have, uh, in Queensland, they estimate anywhere from twelve to twenty-three thousand. Again, that's the northeastern part of Australia. Going south to New South Wales, they think eleven to sixteen thousand. Going to the southern coast of eastern Australia and Victoria, they have upwards of twenty-seven thousand, and then South Australia, that's just over. They have eighteen thousand. Now that's the high. They have lows again as low as forty-three thousand. So, you know, are they functionally extinct? Some experts say no. Some populations definitely are, but not all of them uh, they believe are functionally extinct. But, the you know, the uh, this foundation is saying, hey, we have the research. So I think there needs to be some more investigation in this. They also are pushing the Koala Protection Act. It's ready to go. They're fighting to protect this iconic animal in Australia, and we're behind you. We're behind you 100%. We think, uh, you know, your national symbol needs your love and protection because Australia's in trouble, Angie. I mean, as far as climate change, you know, one of the things we do know, you know, the climate scientists have, have researched and shown that the temperatures are rising quicker at the poles. So Australia, you know, in the, in the Southern Hemisphere, it's not near the equator as much. I mean, North Australia is closer, but, you know, the, the portion where koalas live, especially in South Australia um, and Victoria, temperatures in Australia have risen one degree Celsius or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit in the last hundred years. This is scary. The prediction by 2090, okay, in another 70 years, they think it's going to jump five degrees Celsius or nine degrees Fahrenheit. That's insane. Ugh. That's insane. We had, we had 100 here uh, for the fourth time ever. Yeah. But the first time in May ever. Like usually it's in yeah. other, later months of the summer. Yeah. It's, oh, it, the climate is wacky. And, and 2018 was the worst year for drought in the history of Australia. So 
Australia is suffering. Um, the bushfires down there, they're longer seasons, especially in koala habitat. So it's been just a huge, huge challenge. These animals need their support. You know, the, the government needs to get behind wildlife conservation, period, to protect your endearing, loving, worldwide loving. People love your animals from around the world in Australia. Work harder to protect your wildlife, please, please. And we'll do our part. But Angie has a couple organizations that are working hard to help koalas. Yes, Chris, I do. I have a couple. I'm going to give a big shout out here in a second to, as you've previously mentioned, the Australia Koala Foundation. But first, I want to start a little closer to home to your neck of the woods and and give a shout out to the San Diego Zoo for several. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For several (laughs) reasons besides they're awesome and they do awesome things. But just to touch on what they do for koalas. As today, the San Diego Zoo has the largest colony of koalas outside of Australia with uh, 20 living at the zoo and more than 30 on loan to, to other accredited zoos in the U.S. and in Europe. And the San Diego Zoo is always striving to learn more about koalas, both koalas under their care, but then also wild koalas. They have researchers studying a group of koalas on St. Bees Island off the eastern coast of Australia, and they're trying to learn as much as possible about how these koalas need to find food and shelter and how they communicate with hopes of putting all these pieces together to learn more about their breeding biology. And they work with the Australian government in order to get this done. And the government's now declared that area a national park to help further protect the koalas that live there. So, you know, just working overseas with foreign governments to help conserve wild koalas and not only conserve them, but learn more about them to help better conserve them in the future. And of course at the zoo, they're always trying to figure out how to improve their husbandry and diets and of course breeding. And they're doing a pretty good job at it because koalas can be a little bit um, fussy eaters and sometimes difficult to breed. And the San Diego Zoo is making great strides here in the U.S. at uh, figuring out more about their biology. So kudos to them. Check them out. Uh, obviously like them on Facebook, Instagram feed. You'll be very happy with me. And just a shout out to Candice, uh, Lindsay and Jenny who, uh, took, took time after work to come talk to me in San Diego and have such an awesome, awesome interview. So please, please listen to that on Thursday. It was, it was a pleasure and they go more into what San Diego is doing, which is just amazing. Yeah. So thank you. No, it's going to be super awesome. And, Uh, The other group I really want to highlight, uh, which we've talked a little bit about in the pod, is the Australian Koala Foundation. You can find them on social media at Australia Koala Foundation. And then on the web, they can be found at www.savethekoala.com. And when you go to their website or even their Facebook page, they have a really potent saying, uh, no tree, no me. And so the Australia Koala Foundation, or AKF, It's the main principal nonprofit, non-government organization, and they are dedicated to the effective management and conservation of koala in its natural habitat. So they basically want to refine and update what's considered the koala habitat atlas for wild koalas. And one of their goals, too, is to get the Koala Protection Act enacted to ensure that koalas and their habitats are protected. And I highly recommend, Chris will put the the link on the show notes. Uh, 
I highly recommend checking out their website and of course their social media, but their website is so informative um, as far as where koalas can be found, their sightings or habitats, how you can help protect and save the koala, koala, especially for our listeners in Australia. They do a lot of research as far as koala conservation and biology. And for those that live locally that want to get more involved, they have what they call the koala army, which is basically campaigns and where they'll keep you updated on current campaigns and strategies to help basically conserve the koala. And looking through their website, they have blogs and they have a ton of helpful options of what you can do, a place to donate and or get involved. So I just think that it's a it's a really important group that's bringing awareness to the koala's plight uh, in, in Australia. And as Chris mentioned previously, they're involved with some of these newer numbers uh, that are pretty devastating, but needs to be told and needs to be made aware that uh, these guys aren't doing so well. No, and then on, on their website, which I thought was really cool when I was looking at it, Angie, was they do have like citizen science, you know, where you can report sure. koala sightings, you know, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. So for a friend well, they also Australia. And yeah, just, I mean, it's a really cool website. They, when we talk about trees, right? Like I planted a tree recently this weekend, uh, but they talk, uh, it's so awesome. They, uh, they have, they've developed a guide of which trees you can plant depending on what area you're in to help koalas. So, I mean, they, you know, it's, they, they've done their homework and they, they know, they know all things koala and they're fighting really hard for them. And koalas need a voice, right? They, they they need, they need a big voice. And, and just like anywhere else, uh, when I say vote with your dollar or things like that, uh, if government doesn't back species protection, which here in the U.S. it did with like the bald eagle and the American alligator, and these the species were able to really recover. recover. And yeah. unfortunately, yeah, our current administration's simple, undoing some of that, yeah. but that's a different story for a different day. Yeah. So I think that that's what this group is trying to really promote too, as far as you know, as far as getting governments involved that will make not only these protections a top priority, but will actually do something about it if they're not followed, right? Because a lot of times there's no follow through if, you know, uh, if, if nobody's paying attention, if there's no watchdogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's good. It's good. And we applaud them. So conservation tip this week, Angie, it's again, focused on climate change, reducing our carbon footprint. So we've said this again, and, and I, you know, in a pod long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars, ha ha ha. Um, you know, but it was, it was trying to eat less meat. You know, and Michael Pollan wrote, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. So here's four things you can do to make your diet more eco-friendly, I guess, and reduce its climate impact. Again, one thing Angie and I talked about is eat meat-free meals. You know, meat-free Monday, meatless Monday. That's something you should really try to implement. I saw a video this week on Instagram of them filling up balloons with methane from cows. It was a lab in the United States. They were measuring how much methane a cow produces, roughly 500 liters of methane per day, which is is going up in the atmosphere. It's not just methane that goes into cow production. That's the thing. 
It's also the transportation, the feed costs, all the chemicals, things like that, that make a huge imprint on carbon. So just try to reduce the amount of meat you eat. Um, you know, if you, well, if you're vegan, God bless new, you or yeah, vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. fun to try new recipes. That's what's been really good for us. But if we can help reduce demand a little bit, because that's well, yeah, really I mean, that's why. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what I mean. Like it's, it being encouraged to think outside of the box and try new recipes. And then you find that you don't miss the meat most of the time. Yeah, as so much. Yeah, and there's yeah. tons of alternatives out, out there for yeah. sure. Right. And then, you know, this one, buy organic and local whenever possible. I mean, organic, you can go up and down. This isn't a debate on organic versus non-organic. What is true is organic uses less pesticides equals less fossil fuels being used. Okay. I say so, buy local. That's my stick. There you go. Buy local. That was my next one. There we go. We're on tune tonight, except the coral. You knew it. Grow your own or buy local. Because less transportation costs, you know, support local farmers, local grocers, things like that. And then the huge one is don't waste food, right? We waste food. Yeah. So, you know, I think part of it too is when you cook, you know, again, you can, you can save extras and eat it the next night or the night after that, but plan your meals better. You know, like I went to a restaurant the other night. I couldn't eat all, all of it. I just couldn't. I didn't want to. And I just couldn't eat it all. And I'm like, this is such a waste. It's a, such a waste of food. And it's rare that I go out to restaurants now, but it's still, they give you such big portions. And I'm like, this is such a waste. And it's just so much food's being wasted. And I think if we can reduce the amount we eat, you know, again, we're, it, and it's all these little steps. It's not just one. It's all these little steps will add up. And that's yeah. what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing it in Instagram now. I had my toothbrush demo the other day you know, showing you to save water. That's a little one. But the more we, we do these things, it's going to be making a big impact. So, yeah. So my okay. little trick has been to freeze things. So if I open up a jar of salsa to make some fancy guacamole, but I'm not like, like a salsa verde, green salsa, I don't. I won't use the whole jar. So I just throw it in the freezer till the next time or cilantro. I freeze that. I, my spinach, if it's starting to start to think about going old, I throw it in the freezer and then I use it in smoothies. So the freezer has been a really big help for me saving what, what would, or fruit, if fruit's starting to think about going bad, especially berries and things like that. Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. throw them in the freezer and then that way they can have a second life either in a smoothie or yogurt or, or something else. And that's been very helpful uh, because, of course, I, I like to eat healthy, so I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. But especially here living in Florida, I, my bananas go rotten within a day or two. Like three days, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, but I, so the freezer has been very, 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 very no, beneficial to save food. That's no, a good for, tip. For me. It's good. That's my tip. Good tip. Good tip. Okay. So in the beginning, I asked you, why do we call them koala bear? Are they a bear? No, obviously they're not. They're not a member of the Ursidae. They're so far removed from Ursidae, it's not even funny. <laughs> but their, their scientific name, Phascolarctus cinerus, cinerus, Phascolarctus cinerus, actually means ash gray pouched bear, which was named in 1816. So that looked like a bear. They said, oh, it's a bear. It's not. It's I not mean, a bear I mean, to give those researchers all. back in the day a little bit of credit, or a lot of credit, I right? They're discovering species. Yeah. Well, they weren't discovering them. They were rediscovering them. Obviously, the native yes. people have known about all these things, but it, it does have a cute bear face. So I, I can see yeah, okay. 
And it's in a tree. Okay. I don't know. Bears aren't really in yeah. trees. I don't know. Yes. No. They were confused. It's not a bear. It's a koala. <laughs> it's not a bear. It's a koala. It's a koala. Our Oz friends are screaming at the radio or wherever they're listening to this. It's a koala, period. But you can call it koala bear because it's cute. Okay. Sue us. All right. Anyways, thank you. Send this podcast for those that are sharing. Thank you. We love you. We're growing our audience. We, you know, we didn't even, t- we didn't even talk about our rating. We'll talk about that next week. We were rated one of the top podcasts and animals in the world, which was awesome. Sure. And if anybody yeah. uh, has any connections to the Australia Zoo, hit Chris up. He, he, uh, he needs some connections there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Lee's going to hook me up. But anybody else, yeah, we're, we're, I think I'm making a trip there when, after I go see the Tazzy Tiger in the outback somewhere. But really, Tazzy Devils, I'm going to see this year for sure. Anyways, awesome. Bye, Ange. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. You're amazing. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate your time and your passion. You are our conservation heroes. Without you guys, this podcast would go bust. And, Uh, Spreading our message is what we can all do to help wildlife in some little way, shape, and form. So share this with a friend and let's get more conservation heroes on board and let's all make small steps together can be a big leap for, for wildlife. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.